So, uh, hey, I'm excited to jump into the next part of this series, Encounters with Jesus. And as we do, I just want to take you back, for those of you who are adults, take you back to your very first home as an adult. And if you're a high schooler, middle schooler, just use your imagination, okay? So uh, for my wife, Katie, and I, our first place was an apartment. And I got to tell you, we loved that first apartment because it was our home and we painted it, we decorated it. We just loved that home for a while because uh, we were on the third floor. And while we had a nice view, we uh, would go grocery shopping and then carry Meyer bags full of groceries up three flights of stairs. And that got old. And then we started having kids. And so it was carrying Meyer grocery bags and a car seat. And babies are heavy, okay? And you know, once you start having babies, you start doing just all kinds of laundry. And those of you who have small kids know exactly what I'm talking about. And the laundry room was on the first floor. So laundry up and down three flights of stairs, and it just got really old. So we loved that first home for a while. And so we saved up, we were disciplined with our money, and we were able to buy our first house. And can I tell you how incredible it felt to pull our Pontiac Bonneville into our own garage and take Meyer grocery bags out of the trunk and walk straight into the kitchen. Just glorious. And our laundry room was on the same floor as our bedrooms. We loved that first house for a while. <laughs> Because somehow we just kept having kids. And pretty soon we had five kids and there's only three bedrooms. And did I mention this house didn't have a basement? And I know what you're thinking. Yes, it probably was the only house in West Michigan that didn't have a basement. But that's our house. And so we had all these kids. We were running out of space. We didn't have a lot of living area. We just had the one living room and it was always covered in Legos and Barbies. And so we loved that first house for a while. And so eventually we were able to move into a bigger house with more room and friends. It had a basement. It was amazing. We had a living room that was not covered in Lego and Barbie all the time. And we loved this new house. You know where this is going. For a while. <laughs> because it came to a point where I started to notice things like, man, this driveway is too narrow. And this garage is like actually too small. And this backyard, like, why is the grass always so wet? Have you noticed happiness moves? and fulfillment is fleeting, and satisfaction really only sticks around for a while. Have you noticed this? Where do you experience it in your life? Maybe for you, it's apartments and houses. Maybe it's a job. It's the job that you thought was the job. Or maybe it was a trip, a vacation that you had been anticipating for years. Maybe it was a salary. Okay, when I make this much money, we will be set for life. Maybe it was even a relationship. But have you noticed that happiness moves and fulfillment is fleeting? It just doesn't seem like anything out there can really satisfy us. So the encounter with Jesus that we're going to be looking at today, Jesus has something important to say about this tension that we feel with fulfillment. 
And the story comes from John's gospel. And I love John's gospel because John was one of Jesus' disciples. You know, and it's like, okay, where did all these stories about Jesus come from? How do you know that they're true? Well, John was there. He was an eyewitness. And so he's talking about things, writing about things that he saw. And uh, he records for us a story where Jesus says something, actually promises to deliver what it is that we're all looking for. But he doesn't use the word happy. He doesn't use the word fulfillment or satisfaction. He uses a better word. Let me show you what I mean. This comes from uh, John 13, verse 17. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Jesus uses the word blessed, which is like a deeper kind of happiness. We're talking about God's blessing, joy, prosperity, fulfillment, uh, not for a while, but something more lasting, something more permanent. And this is, I believe, what all of us are after. But my suspicion is that while it's what you want, you're just not really experiencing it. It's what we want, but we just don't really know how to get there, that, that blessed life. And the thing is, Jesus tells us, I mean, look again, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And the question is, what are these things that lead to blessing? That's what we're going to talk about today. And so the good news is, is that Jesus is promising us a pathway to the blessed life, this thing that we're all after. That's the good news. The bad news is that this is Jesus. And with Jesus, it always seems like it's just counterintuitive, upside down, countercultural. And so I guess what I'm trying to say is that what Jesus is promising here, like a pathway to the blessed life, it's not what you think it's going to be, which is going to force all of us to make a decision today. And the decision is, will you continue to chase after your cravings? Will you continue to follow our culture's script for how to be happy and fulfilled? Or will you take a step toward the way of Jesus? Will you take a step toward embracing his way and the life of blessing that he promises? That's what's at stake today. That's why this conversation matters. So a uh, three-part conversation today from John's gospel, an encounter with Jesus. In part one, I'm just calling knowing. So here's the setting for the story today. Got a picture for you. You probably recognize it. Famous painting by Leonardo da Vinci. It's called The Last Supper. So the setting is the final meal that Jesus shared with his disciples in the city of Jerusalem. Now, it's probably obvious, but I don't think it actually looked like this. You know, all of them on one side of the table. They were probably around a table, reclining like you did back in the ancient world. But you get the idea. And this is the setting. And so here's how our story begins. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And so John is telling us, look, we're coming to the end of the story. And we're coming to the end of Jesus' life. In fact, this very night, following this meal, Jesus will be arrested. And that arrest will lead to his execution. 
And so we're coming to the end. And John wants his readers to know something. That during his life, Jesus loved his followers and loved his disciples really, really well. And he would continue to love them right until the very end of his life. And so what we will see Jesus do in this meal and what we know Jesus does after this meal will vividly display his love for his followers. Now John goes on, he says, the evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. So somebody's going to betray Jesus, and it's, it's Judas, who is one of Jesus' 12 disciples. And when that happens, all of the disciples will abandon Jesus. Now, let's just stop for a second. And I want us to try to feel what Jesus must have been feeling in this moment. Because Jesus knows what is in front of him. He knows what's ahead. The agony of the cross. He knows that's what's coming. In addition to that, he knows that one of these guys that he loves, that he has spent three years pouring himself into, is going to betray him. And that all of them will abandon him in his time of greatest need. He will be totally alone. That's what Jesus is headed into, and he knows it. And the question is, how was he able to move forward? I mean, how was he able to hold it together? He's literally feeling the weight of the world. And so how did he do it? And John tells us in the very next verse. He says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. How did Jesus do it? Well, Jesus knew some things. He knew who he was. He knew who he was in relation to his God and Father. He knew that he was loved. He knew that he was sent. And he knew that he would return to his Father. Jesus knew who he was, and that empowered him to move forward into what was ahead. Secondly, John tells us that he knew that God, his father, would put all things under his power, which means that he knew how the story would end, that God was gonna put all things under his authority. He knew that on the other side of the cross was resurrection. And he knew that through the cross, the restoration of all things would take place. Jesus knew how the story would end. He knew who he was, he knew how the story would end. That is what empowered him to embrace and endure what was in front of him. Two words, I think, that capture this idea. Two words, identity and destiny. It was Jesus' identity, knowing who he was, and it was his destiny, knowing how the story would end, that empowered him to move forward. Now, here's the thing. You aren't Jesus. You already knew that. You're not the son of God. It's not your destiny to save the world by dying on a cross. But these two words, identity and destiny, they can empower you to move forward in whatever is before you. 
I mean, whatever is in front of the identity and destiny can empower you to embrace it and endure it in the same way that Jesus did. And so for you, by identity, I don't mean, you know, hey, I'm a Sagittarius or I'm an INFP on the Meyer Briggs. No, I'm not talking about your personality. I'm not talking about your gender. I'm, I'm talking about what is most true about you. And that is who you are in relation to your creator. Who you are in relationship to God. That's what's most true about you. And if you are in Christ, let me tell you about your identity. You are loved, and you are forgiven, and you are adopted by your Father. That is your identity, and when you understand that, when you know who you are, that can empower you to face whatever is in front of you. And destiny. I mean, here's the thing. Christ's resurrection that was a preview of your resurrection. And whatever you're facing, death is not the end of the story. And there is a day coming when Christ will return and will restore all things and everything will be made right and everything will be made good once again. And you, if you are in Christ, get to be a part of that. You get to experience that forever with your God. Your identity and your destiny can empower you to face whatever is in front of you. So let me ask you a question. Where do you need to remember your identity and your destiny today? I mean, what are you facing that's difficult, that's scary, challenging? You know, Jesus, he had some really difficult choices ahead of him the difficult and right choice to move forward to the cross. He didn't have to. He had other choices. And maybe that's kind of where you find yourself. You've got a really hard decision ahead of you. And maybe you know what's right and it's just really hard, or maybe you're confused on what to do. But I heard a preacher put it this way, when you know who you are, you'll know what to do. Your identity and your destiny empower you to make good, right decisions when life is confusing. Jesus was about to enter incredibly lonely space. He would be betrayed, he would be abandoned, he would be totally alone in his greatest time of need. And maybe that captures a little bit of what you're experiencing. You're just in really, really lonely space. And what empowered Jesus to get through that? His identity, his destiny. He knew who he was. That even though everybody else had abandoned him, that his father loved him. And do you know how loved you are and that God is with you and will never abandon you? Your identity and your destiny empower you to move forward in whatever you're facing. And of course, Jesus would suffer. He would be tortured, he would be beat up, and he would be executed. And maybe you're suffering. Maybe you're just dealing with a lot of pain right now. Maybe it's physical pain, maybe it's emotional pain, but maybe you're just, you're suffering. And with Jesus, his identity and destiny empowered him to suffer honorably and faithfully 
And I just believe when you know who you are and you know how the story ends, you too can suffer honorably and faithfully. So how was it that Jesus was able to step into this purpose that he had in this world in this really difficult season? He knew who he was and he knew how the story would end, identity and destiny. It's true for us as well. Now, we started out by talking about blessing. And the very last verse in this story is what I read to you at the beginning where Jesus said, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And I just believe that when you know your identity and your destiny, you are blessed. Because there is nothing that you can go through in this life, there is nothing that can happen to you that can take away who you are in Christ, that can take away your future with God. You are blessed when you know your identity and your destiny. And so this is what empowered Jesus to move toward the cross, and it's also what led him to do something really special in this meal with his disciples. And so let's return to the meal and let's watch what Jesus does. So part two of our conversation today, just calling washing. So here we go, verse four. So he got up from the meal, he took off his outer clothing and he wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. So Jesus begins to clean off the dirt from his disciples' feet. And I just need you to know something. Something like this just would not happen in the ancient world. Nobody like Jesus would do this. I mean, if you were somebody who had any kind of status, any kind of prestige and popularity, you would never be the one that washed people's feet. That was the work of servants and slaves. I mean, you probably noticed none of the disciples were like, hey, I got it, I can do this. No, nobody's willing to do this. So the fact that Jesus does this, I can't really overstate how awkward, how shocking, how even offensive this must have felt to the disciples, which is why Peter responds like this, Peter, one of Jesus' disciples. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you gonna wash my feet? Like the tone here is like, you can't be serious. Like Jesus, no, you cannot do this. This is beneath you. And it was because Jesus was a popular and prestigious teacher, a rabbi. But Jesus replies to him, Verse seven, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. And honestly, this is a great summary for pretty much everything Jesus said and did with his disciples in the gospels, because they are consistently confused about who he is, what he's doing, and what it all means. And so Peter just doesn't get it. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. He's doubling down. This is inappropriate. It's not okay. You are the Messiah. You are like the most important person in the history of Israel. You cannot do this. And Jesus responds, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. 
And it's like, what? <laughs> what? What does that mean? Is Jesus that obsessed with clean feet? It's like, those are nasty. We just can't, okay? If you're going to be with me, you got to clean them up. What, what is this about? Okay. Those of you who are married, maybe you're in a relationship of some kind, uh, have you ever had one of those moments where you're talking with your significant other and you think you're talking about one thing, but actually you're talking about something else? Have you ever had this experience? Okay, maybe it's about the dishwasher and about how you load the dishwasher wrong. It's a fictional conversation. It's never happened in my house. Uh, and it just comes down to, you know, the plates are going the wrong way. The plates need to go this way. And so you think you're talking about loading the dishwasher and how the plates are going the wrong way. But that's not what you're talking about. What you're actually talking about is your relationship. Your marriage is going the wrong way. So you thought you were talking about this, but you're actually talking about that. Have you ever had an experience like this? Am I the only crazy one? Okay, so I think something like this is what's going on here. Because they were talking about washing feet, now they're talking about something else. Jesus is talking about washing hearts. He's not talking about washing dirt from toes, he's talking about washing sin and guilt away from your heart. I think Jesus is beginning to share what he's going to accomplish at the cross and what it all means. And I think he's basically telling Peter, Peter, unless I wash away your sin and your guilt, you can have nothing to do with me. We cannot have a relationship. And that was true for Peter, and it's true for you, and it's true for me. I mean, did you know that unless Jesus washes away your sin and your guilt, that you can have no relationship with him, no connection with him, no future with your God? All of us need to have our sin and our guilt washed away by the sacrificial death of Jesus on the cross on our behalf. And so have you, have you been washed have you trusted in Christ to forgive you, to wash away your guilt? This is where a relationship with God begins, and it's something that all of us need to do. And so Peter, he's starting to understand, kind of. He's not quite there. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. He's like, okay, fine, then just wash all of me. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And it's kind of like, I thought you just said I needed to be washed. And now it's, it's confusing. It's like, Jesus, you're talking in riddles. Is this Jesus or is this Gandalf? Like, what is happening here? So, so what is Jesus saying? I think what Jesus is saying is this. Once he washes away your sin and guilt, you are clean permanently. As in you never need to have your sin and your guilt washed away again. You're washed once and you're permanently clean. Question for you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that that is actually true? You know who didn't believe that? This guy right here. Check this guy out. All right, here we go. Why are you laughing? I don't understand. Is it the smirk? 
What was so funny? I actually don't know. I think this is ninth grade, 10th grade. Uh, it, it's me, if you couldn't tell. Um, now, uh, when I was in early high school, even though I had grown up in the church and around faith, in early high school, I made a decision myself to follow Jesus. And so that's when I became a Jesus follower. And I got to tell you, in high school, I was passionate about my faith. And I was also incredibly insecure in my faith. Why? Because I did a lot of dumb stuff. I mean, I said things I shouldn't have. I did things that I, didn't, I shouldn't have. And on top of that, I experienced a lot of doubts in my faith. I, I would have days where I'd just be like, okay, but really, like, what if God doesn't even exist? Or I would, I would have doubts about this book. I, you know, it's like, okay, the Bible, like, I mean, what if some guy just made this up and wrote this story? And so I would have these doubts and I would make all these mistakes and, and have all these failures. And when I did, I would feel really bad. In fact, I would feel dirty. And so what I did is repeatedly go to God and say, okay, God, this time I'm serious. Okay, this time for real, I'm trusting in Jesus to wash away my, my sins. God, this time I really mean it. And I probably did that like 50 times in high school. And I don't think I'm exaggerating. And so my question for you is, do you struggle with that? I mean, do you struggle with really believing that you're saved, that you're secure in your relationship with God? Because I definitely did. But something you need to know is that I don't anymore. And here's why. Starts with a question. Who washed you? Who saved you? Was it you? No. It was Jesus. It's what Jesus accomplished on the cross for you. It was a gift. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. It was a gift from God. That's why we call it grace. And so Jesus is the one who does the washing, not you, not me. Therefore, the security of your salvation, the security of your relationship with God is not based on your behavior. The security of your relationship with God is not based on how big or how small your faith is on a particular day. It's not dependent on your faithfulness. It's dependent on his faithfulness. And the good news is that there is no one in this universe more faithful than your God. And so you are secure in your salvation. You know, there's a phrase for this, a big theological phrase uh, that I learned in Bible school. It's called eternal security. And here at Ada Bible Church, we believe in eternal security. Uh, uh, sort of a slang way to sum it up is to say, once saved, always saved. You are eternally secure in Christ when you place your trust in his sacrifice on your behalf because the security of this is not based on you. It's based on him and his faithfulness. So when I began to understand this, really start to get it at a heart level, I stopped 
repeatedly praying and asking God, okay, this time I'm serious, this time I trust in you. And now I am settled in this state of he is the one that rescued me and I am secure in that relationship. It's called eternal security and it's a wonderful, beautiful truth. Now, even as I explain this, I just know that some of you have more questions. It's like, well, what about this kind of situation? You know, what if somebody, you know, prays to receive Christ when they're really little, but then you don't really ever see any evidence? So I know you got questions, and some of you, you know, struggle with this. So let me, let me offer a resource. Uh, it's a book. It's written by a guy named J.D. Greer. Uh, he's a pastor down in North Carolina. The book is called Stop Asking Jesus Into Your Heart. And some of you are like, what in the world does that mean? Others of you who grew up going to church are like, yep, I know what that is. It's basically a way, a churchy way of saying that you're trusting Christ. You're receiving what he did for you on the cross. So stop asking Jesus into your heart how to know for sure that you are saved. You can see how not big this book is. It's just a little over 100 pages, answers a lot of questions that you might have. And so if this is an area where you feel a little insecure in your faith, this book might be an incredible resource for you. So check it out. So again, we began our time by talking about blessing. Jesus promises us essentially what we're looking for. And again, he says, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Now that you know these things. Now that you know that you have been washed. Now that you know that you are secure that you are pure, that you are clean, and that nothing in this life can take that away, including your own failures. Now that you know that you are eternally secure, you are blessed. I mean, you are blessed by God. And that is a truth, a reality that you can hang on to no matter what you are facing. You are blessed. So we're at this meal with Jesus, final meal, last supper. He's washing his disciples' feet, and there's like this deeper meaning underneath it, right? It's not just that he's washing his feet. We're talking about uh, salvation and the cross and eternal security. There's a deeper meaning going on here, which is why we needed to have this conversation about eternal security. But there's also kind of the obvious thing that's going on here. Like Jesus is washing dirt off of his disciples' feet. There's the obvious thing. So we talked about the deeper thing. Let's talk about the obvious thing. Let's talk about how Jesus is serving his disciples. Part three is serving. So here we go. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? Do you get it? You see, Jesus' actions right here speak loudly against the attitude and the behavior of his disciples. As you, if you read through the gospel stories, I mean, they're constantly jockeying for position. They're constantly arguing about which one of them is the greatest disciple. And what they seem to care about the most is status, power, position. And Jesus is going, you don't get it. Let me show you. He lowers himself. He takes the role 
of a servant, and he's saying to them, this is what it's all about. This is what it means to be my disciple. So then in verse 15, he says, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. This is what I'm, hey, imitate me, follow me. I serve, now you serve. So something that just needs to be so clear for us is that if we are gonna follow Jesus, serving others is just, it's got to be at the core of what we are about. It's gotta be at the center of who we are, serving others. And there's something I think really important for us in the way that verse 14 is worded. Check this out. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. He's saying to his disciples here, like, you guys, you need to wash each other's feet. And I think this is really important because these disciples, these are the, the young men that Jesus would use to launch his church. And what does that have to do with us? Well, we are modern day disciples of Jesus. And we together in our relationship, we are his church. And so if Jesus was calling his original disciples to wash one another's feet, I believe that he would call us to wash one another's feet. And so yes, because we are Jesus followers, our entire lives should be marked by serving others. I mean, at your office, in your school, in your neighborhood, and in your family, you should be known as a servant. But there's a particular focus. There's a special focus for us in the church to be washing each other's feet. I think this is something for all of us. And so let me ask you a question. Have you found a place to serve one another here in your church? Have you found your place to wash one another's feet here in your church? Because I think that all of us as followers have a particular focus that Jesus is calling us to. So let me ask you to do something. Uh, pull out your phone, uh, go to your browser. Uh, for me, it's Safari. Those of you who have Androids, I don't know. You're just over here always ruining my group chats and everything. I just, I don't know. Go to adabible.info, okay? adabible.info. Uh, there's like a QR code here. You can scan that with your camera. So remember, those of you who grew up in church, you remember bulletins, like that paper thing that you would get at the door? This is our digital bulletin. That's what this is all about. Uh, now click on the third button. It says serving. Now you'll see a bunch of different places that you could serve at Ada Bible Church. So let me take a second and just tell you about a couple ways that people here at Ada Bible Church are serving one another, washing each other's feet. First one on the list there says uh, children's ministry. We call our children's ministry Discovery Village. There are a bunch of people here in our church who serve one another in our children's ministry by growing, by cultivating faith in the next generation. And I experienced this just last week because uh, it was bedtime. I was uh, putting my two youngest girls to bed and uh, my youngest, she's only seven, she began to tell 
a story that she had heard, a Bible story that she had heard in Discovery Village, uh, you know, that previous Sunday. And she told the story with incredible detail. I mean, I was like, wow, this is awesome. And, and I just realized that what's happening in our children's ministry is that people like you are building a biblical foundation in the hearts of kids, kids like my kids. And I got to tell you, as a parent, I just really, really appreciate that. And so that's one way that people are washing each other's feet here in our church. Let me give you another one. Uh, Farther down the list, there's one. It's called Meals Ministry. So it's no secret, Ada Bible Church, pretty big church. And we've got four campuses, a lot of people. And so at any given time, there are just a bunch of people going through a really difficult time. Just really tough space. And maybe it's, you know, surgery. Maybe it's sickness. Maybe it's grief. But if you've ever been in space like that, you know that there are just times when you don't have the energy to do things like clean your house or cook meals for your family. And so when somebody from your church family shows up with pork chops and salad, it's like, come on, what an incredible way to serve one another and wash each other's Feet. And so I could go on and on with all the different ways that people serve each other here in our church. But let me return to my question. Have you found your place to serve one another? Have you found your place to wash one another's feet? And this is not a guilt trip. This is not a, hey, if you were a real Christian, hey, if you're going to benefit from Ada Bible Church, you really need to give back. No, this is an invitation. Because again, the way that this story ends is Jesus saying, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. You see, Jesus, yes, he came to save us, but he also came to show us how to live. I mean, really live, to live the blessed life. Life And as Jesus demonstrates here and throughout the Gospels, it is in living for others. It is in serving others. It is pouring yourself out. That is where life is found. That is what you were created for. And that's where you'll find blessing. So let's wrap this up. Back where we started. Apartments, houses. I was so happy for a while. And I wonder if that's where you're at. You're just in that for a while space. It feels like you're just chasing after satisfaction, fulfillment, happiness. Well, today Jesus is offering something deeper, more meaningful and more lasting, and it's called blessing. And it's only found in him. And it's like when you know your identity and your destiny in Christ, That is where blessing is found. And when you know that you have been washed, that you are secure, nothing can take that away, that is where blessing is found. And when you know that true fulfillment is not found in things, in status, in achievement, but it's found in living a life that's pouring yourself out for others in the way of Jesus. When you discover that and lean into that, that is where blessing is found. So my hope for you today 
is that you would experience God's blessing in your life as more and more you embrace the way of Jesus. So let me pray for you as we close. And then if you're here in person watching our, uh, at one of our campuses, uh, campus pastor will come up and share a few final words. So let me pray for you. Uh, Heavenly Father, we just confess today that our hearts lead us to chase after all kinds of things that we think are going to make us happy, that are going to make us fulfilled and satisfied. And God, your word reveals for us again the truth, that blessing only comes from you. It only comes from knowing you. And so God, would you shape our hearts? Would you draw us toward you? God, would you pour out your blessing on us? These are the things that we ask for, and we pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.